Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb Smith. And I'm Troy Couch. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to talk about race in America. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. This week, a Fed official said that it is an open question whether or not the Fed will have to induce a recession to bring inflation under control. However, this official is unsure if an actual recession will happen from actions to bring down demand and therefore inflation. It is worth noting that the Federal Reserve's dual mandate is to promote both price stability, which means low to no inflation, and high employment. Right now, there is high inflation and the labor market is hot. Many believe a recession is inevitable as the Fed raises interest rates to combat inflation. Terrell, what do you think by the, about this? In economics, there are trade-offs with everything, but I think it's particularly interesting that the best way to cool off inflation may be to induce a recession, which is arguably not really any better than high inflation, depending on how bad the recession might be. Everything is fake. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> it doesn't really actually feel real. Yeah, and... The fact that the conversation is an, a recession may need to be induced to combat inflation goes to show how out of touch Wall Street is from Main Street. Like, sure, that can calm down inflation and make it so that milk and your, your daily necessities are affordable. But a recession will directly harm so many individuals in this country, whether it be them losing their jobs because industries can no longer afford to keep them, whether it means their wages being stagnated for longer than they already have been. Like, it, I guess I appreciate the fact that they understand that inflation isn't helpful for people, but it's <laughs> it's just comical that the better option is to induce something that would cause even more systematic harm to people across the country. Well, I mean, the goal is that they want to keep down inflation, but they want to keep the labor market hot. Mm -hmm. And but the but they need to bring down demand and demand and everything that you can think of or increase supply, like oh, exactly. call it what it is. We have a war happening across the mm -hmm. seas. It's that a is a lot of supply issues. That's what it is. And I don't know. And reducing I, demand. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. I you're just fine. I don't know. I just. I feel like there's other ways, even if it's difficult, that we can reduce demand and reducing demand. It, we should just meet it and be able to fulfill it. And I yeah. know that's easier said than done, but it sucks that the idea that you have to talk about right now is, oh, time for a recession. But I also think this is the mirage that we are living in in this country, right? Um, I was having a really um, interesting conversation with a friend about what's happening overseas and the fact that Turkey, which we're going to talk a little bit about in the international fold, is experiencing one of the worst economic um, situations it has ever. Same with India. Um, currently, the UK is trying to grapple with how it is going to sustain itself after the pandemic. And I I think there's this air of American exceptionalism that is carrying through right American now. American exceptionalism. That's carrying through right now that, well, we're doing so great that we need to reduce demand, not understand that globally supply is down and we are overinflating our needs in this country because we want higher um, consumption. And instead of pinpointing this from a geopolitical space, because we've come out of these two long wars because we're rebuilding after a president that tried to move the country into an isolationist space. We are struggling from an ideological space to really understand what geopolitical action looks like beyond war and military arms. And I, I really think that's the crux of it. This is a great example of the mirage that um, our country is just living in post COVID-19. And I won't even say post COVID-19 because that's another part of the mirage. We're not out of a pandemic. We're still in a fucking pandemic, and we're just here. Ah, uh, the the pain of being the biggest economy in the world, the Americans. I um, Turkey's inflation rate has been like hovering around twenty percent for a long time. I haven't looked at it recently, but it's it's bad. We don't ever want to get there, right? Mm -hmm. That's the thing, though. Is like economically, the economy is actually doing quite well if you don't take into the inflation into account. Mm -hmm. Um, even with the inflation, I mean, we've had the biggest growth we've had in like 40 plus years. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I just... Inflation sucks. I think there's different ways that Biden and the Democrats should employ before the Federal Reserve takes us into a recession if that really is what the plan is. Yeah. Honestly, the Federal Reserve can do things differently too, right? Like, yeah. If the issue is, if the issue that they really want to focus on is demand, then you should be having a more aggressive bond program to get people to be investing in these long um, equities that the government's going to promise within 10 years, we'll pay you back X percent, right? Like that's where we should be headed of how can the government step in and encourage people to want to save money rather than continue to spend. But at the same time, to my point of Main Street and Wall Street not connecting, there needs to be an understanding that there are basic necessities that people can't afford and can't deal with. One, because we've lost the child tax credit. Thank you, Senator Manchin. But two, because we're seeing all of our record highs continue when nothing else has changed. Housing is still inaccessible for millions across this country. Mm-hmm. We're going through a um, shortage in baby formula. Childcare takes up over 20% of household incomes. Um, if you are a millennial right now and you have anything beyond rent, you're spending most of your check on basic necessities and then trying to figure out how to live your life. So if the government is really looking for, I won't say government, I will speak, speak specifically to the Federal Reserve. If the Federal Reserve is looking specifically to how do we we manage this, it should be a comprehensive understanding of the needs of the citizens right now and a comprehensive understanding that you could make arguments of younger families buying into bonds, saving up money for their children's education. You could make arguments about um, erasing student loan debt so that there's a bigger cushion for generations to say, I don't need to spend money on X, Y, and Z because now I'm saving from X, Y, and Z. So I just think this is a very out of tune approach. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, economics is super fascinating to me because like, when you think about the idea of like income and stuff, mm-hmm. nobody actually wants income. Because if you wanted income, then why are we more likely to go spend it than save it? And that's kind of like what we're dealing with here, but on a very vast scale. Mm-hmm. Coming out of a pandemic with sh- supply shortages and whatnot, like I know, I don't know about you, but I know even for me, I've looked for goods that that have been out of stock for a long time and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that that demand pushes costs up because there's not a supply to meet it. And that's like really the biggest, I mean, there's probably a lot of factors that feed into inflation. I mean, there's not probably, there is. But right now that seems to be one of the biggest ones. And I understand that the Federal Reserve wants to reduce demand. I understand that that's part of why you raise interest rates. Mm -hmm. But I think we should be careful here because just as we've already said, if this is really such a supply issue, I think that we really need to figure out things on the supply side. And, you know, I think that's there's already been kind of at least conversation about a push towards uh, globalization, but like still able to protect ourselves as a country when things like this happen and supply chains aren't immediately ruined when the next pandemic hits or something. So anyways... I would obviously be remiss not to bring up the fact that we have officially entered opinion season at the Supreme Court. And I want to give a quick shout out to um, SCOTUS blog as a great resource for any of our listeners to get quick updates on the opinions. If you want to read them in full, they're actually no longer being posted on SCOTUS blog. They're being posted directly on the Supreme Court website. But SCOTUS blog gives a very digestible understanding of the opinions, the impact that they might have and what the case was around. This past Monday, um, the Supreme Court actually released two opinions, one that had a direct impact on immigration proceedings, another one that had a direct impact on campaign finance laws. Um, In Patel v. Garland, it was a 5-4 decision that the majority opinion was actually written by Justice Amy Coney Barrett. you see that Justice Neil Gorsuch joined the liberal bloc in dissent and essentially it curtailed the 
ability for the judiciary to review and take other factual information when it comes to an immigration case. Giving a very high-level overview, um, the Patal family immigrated to America in the 1990s. Um, They were applying for an adjusted status, and the federal government actually denied their status, reporting that Patal intentionally misled um, his citizenship status in a Georgia driver's license. He argued that it was an honest mistake and that his denial was unfair, challenged in the court, and the Supreme Court essentially stepped down and said that the judiciary has a very limited role when it comes to immigration and cannot take in those factual in, in, um, improprieties or spaces. They have to listen to what's being provided by the federal government. And interestingly enough, they leaned into executive privilege and the executive branch as the rationale behind that. The most shocking case in my personal opinion, but when you really dive into it, isn't too shocking, is the Federal Election Commission versus Ted Cruz for Senate. Um, This was a more undercover case that ended up with a six to three ruling um, separating on ideological lines. And it has some very broad implications for where our country is headed. Um, For our listeners, if you're aware, Citizens United, which was decided back in 2014, if I remember correctly, um, essentially opened the way for money to be funneled into campaigns as a form of speech. This case goes a step further and um, essentially tells the Federal Election Commission that they have no authority to set limitations on how much money a candidate can win or receive after they have won their election. Um, Currently, the post-election contribution is set up to $250,000. And the roots of this case is Ted Cruz had shoveled some money into his campaign. After he won, he was looking to get some of those... um, reinvested into his own personal account, um, essentially making a loan to his campaign. And he was $10,000 over at $260,000. Obviously, the Federal Election Commission stepped in and said that this was um, an illegal practice. And the court stepped down or sat down and said that because money is a form of speech when it comes to elections, you cannot limit that and completely wiped away this um, limitation. So now, In short, after an individual is elected to office, they are allowed and free to accept as many donations and funds to them to recoup some of the loans that they have made or any money they've invested, essentially opening the door for potential bribes. Now let's check out the international fold. As the violence in Ukraine continues, international implications of Vladimir Putin's unwarranted attack on a sovereign nation take full shape globally. On Tuesday, at least seven buses assisted in the evacuation of Ukrainian forces held in the steel plant located in Maripol. As a condition of their surrender, negotiations are continuing to ensure a peaceful evacuation of some 100 plus um, remaining fighters. This has become one of Russia's major victories in the country since the um, war started. Fears of further Russian aggression have pushed nations like Finland and Sweden to petition the NATO alliance for full membership. Following two historical votes from both countries, NATO was stunned by a surprise announcement from the Turkish delegation stating they would not support membership for either Sweden or Finland. This comes after Finnish president Ninesta claims that the Turkish president Erdogan um, expressed support less than a month ago. Turkey has said that both Sweden and Finland harbor individuals linked to groups they deem as terrorists, naming the Kurdistan Workers' Party, um, a militia group that has followers of Fulata Gulen, um, who was accused of orchestrating a coup, as those main individuals that they do not inherently support. Circling the globe in under a minute, North Korea is facing a growing crisis as COVID-19 numbers exponentially increase. President Joe Biden on Monday signed an order to deploy hundreds of U.S. troops to Somalia to counter an Islamic extremist rebel group in the state. 
and McDonald's is making an exit from Russia entirely. And we'll be right back. And we're back at Dangerously Likely. Um, Before we get into our main segment, I personally need to take a step back and reflect on how difficult the segment's probably going to be for me um, and how I will very much be showing a far more aggressive side in this conversation more than likely, but specifically call out our media organizations and and networks in this space. When black and brown bodies commit a crime, they are immediately ran through news outlets for their name, their history, who their family is, any connections they have. However, when Caucasian bodies commit heinous crimes, they are always protected in the space of they are a white 18-year-old, maybe, or a white 16-year-old. They're always given this due process and this grant of innocent before proven guilty that I myself do not see for people who look like me. So as we get into this main segment, I will intentionally be using the name of this individual because that individual committed the crime. It is not fair to assess him as just a white 18-year-old male, but to use his name and use his background and talk about him in an intentional way. Um, And to own the fact that Black and brown bodies don't inherently get the opportunity to even make it to trial. If a black and brown body were to commit something as heinous as what we're discussing today, they more than likely would not have walked out alive. But this individual is able to. So on Saturday afternoon, Peyton Gentron of Coakland, New York, an 18-year-old white male, entered the Topps family market in Buffalo, New York in full body armor and a helmet with a camera that was linked to his Twitch for a live stream. As he entered the store, or as he approached the store, he opened fire on patrons um, that were shopping for their groceries. As he entered, he continued his massacre. In total, Gentron murdered 10 African Americans, injuring one black person and two white people. Of the 10 victims, um, their ages ranged between 20 um, years of age all the way up to 74 um this atrocity was steeped in racism at one point in his live stream you can hear him apologizing to a white patron who was cowering behind a checkout counter as he looked at this patron um he said i'm sorry and then proceeded to go down aisles to find other black bodies to kill as expected in america gentron was arrested and peacefully taken to um court to await his trial. Since being identified, Gentron's manifesto based in the Great Replacement Theory has been widely discussed as his motives for this attack, predominantly in a Black neighborhood. Authorities even state that he did research on local demographics and conducted um, recognizance as a part of his efforts to target specific Black bodies. According to the Associated Press, the Great Replacement Theory um, is a conspiracy theory that allows for this plot of how white influence is being diminished in the country. Believers believe this goal is being achieved through immigration of non-white people into society, um, looking at the growing demographics, the low birth rate of white people, Um, all steeped in this real deep view that whites are losing their grapple and their their stranglehold on America. We saw these chants and we saw this theory um, in Charlottesville, Virginia, when the rally turned deadly in 2017 and you heard chants of you will not replace us or Jews will not replace us. In the mainstream, we're seeing baseless claims that Democrats are encouraging immigration from Latin American countries so that there are more like-minded voters to replace the quote-unquote traditional American voters. And really, truly, this non-reality of what's happening in the country. In the modern era, most experts point to two influential books in this theory. 
The Turner Diaries, a 1978 novel written by William Luther Pierce under the pseudonym um, Andrew McDonald, is about a violent revolution in the United States with a race war that leads to the complete extermination of non-whites. The FBI call it a Bible of the racist right. Um, the second book is written by a French writer and was published in 2011, and it claims that Europe, had, Europe was being invaded by black and brown immigrants from Africa. He called the book Le Grand Replacement, and it's a conspiracy-born name. That's where it comes from. On Tuesday, President Biden called on Americans to take on the haters and reject the lies of racial replacement. Actually, let's play a clip from his remarks in Buffalo this morning. For the evil did come to Buffalo. It's come to all too many places. Manifesting gunmen who massacred innocent people in the name of hateful and perverse ideology rooted in fear and racism. It's taken so much. Ten lives cut short in a grocery store. Three other wounded, three or three other wounded by a hate-filled individual who had driven 200 miles from Binghamton in that range to carry out a murderous, racist rampage that he would live stream, live stream to the world. What happened here is simple and straightforward. Terrorism. Terrorism. Domestic terrorism. Violence inflicted in the service of hate and the vicious thirst for power that defines one group of people being inherently inferior to any other group. A hate that through the media and politics, the internet, has radicalized, angry, alienated, lost, and isolated individuals into falsely believing that they will be replaced, that's the word, replaced, by the other, by people who don't look like them. Immediate reactions to these events have been wide-ranging, um, further showing just the extremists that are existing in the conservative party. You can look no further than Arizona, as a member of the state Senate um, felt the need to defend a person's right to say ugly things. And I quote, and believing that that's a First Amendment right and it exists and they have to be able to speak this way, um, even though the Senate voted overwhelmingly to start an ethics investigation into Senator Townsend from Arizona, uh, the ideological split to expel her from the Senate was very noted. Additionally, we're seeing from the other side, lawmakers in New York are actively exploring opportunities to tighten gun laws as Gentron used a legally purchased firearm, but a legal magazine capacity in the massacre. As I said at the top of this, it's going to be a hard topic. I know there's a lot to get into, but. Um, reactions from you caleb well i mean first of all this is a tragedy that has happened too many times in america and i mean you're right there's a lot there's a lot to get into on this like for instance um uh peyton the shooter uh should never have had a gun in the first place uh uh in new york they already have stricter gun laws mm -hmm. And he actually made a joke that he wanted to do a murder suicide. And well, I say joke because that's how he put it yeah. when people examined him for that. And then they never gave him that like red flag status or however it works in the law that says you can't buy a gun anymore because he said it was a joke. Mm -hmm. And oh, wow, it's not a joke. And his online like portfolio of it, manifesto of, of, of racist thoughts and violent thoughts. Um, he says, I, I said it was a joke so I could still get a firearm. It's just, we're going to continue to get into this, but this replacement theory idea, it's been talked about by a lot of Republicans in the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Tucker Carlson, the most watched show in cable news right now, 
he talks about it all the time. This idea that white people are going to lose power and you have to keep it no matter what, or we're going to be the oppressed ones. I saw a tweet that summed it up very well. And it went something like, like, why are white people so afraid of being the minority? Aren't minorities always treated well? And it was obviously sarcastic. The audacity for this Arizona senator that you mentioned to bring up the First Amendment literally out of nowhere. No one fucking asked. That's that's the one thing that you're going to say about this. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a tragedy. That, oh, the white person who killed 10 black people, who went there to kill black people, has a First Amendment right like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. This is one of these things that like, I've actually talked about it kind of before um, with generational change. Like right now we have a lot of old people that are in power in America, like boomers, a little bit of, um, I believe the generation before them is Gen X's. And what we're seeing right now in terms of politics, I think is every 80 years, we normally have a big kind of power change from generation to generation. And I think that we're seeing that right now in politics and the way things are shaping up. And I think that's a, a lot of the reason why we're seeing a lot of uh, divisiveness in this country. But I don't think this is any different. And what I mean by that is that I think inevitably America is going to be a multicultural society. Of course. If it's not already. Um, but I mean in terms of white people being the minority. And I think personally that that's a great thing because we want our democracy. We want America to be more represented. We want everybody to have a voice in some way. And I think, I think America generationally is getting to that point in demographically. We're slowly moving there, but this is that, this is that power struggle of people white people specifically in this instance that feel like they are going to, I don't know, the worst thing is going to happen to them if they are in the minority. So they feel like they have to hold on to this power when in reality, everyone having power, I think is a better future for America. And I think it will inevitably happen. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing is this era of, of one side trying to hold on to power with people like Tucker Carlson, even what's her name? Elise Stefanik, the, the number three Republican in that, in the house of representatives right now. Um, and many others that keep talking about this idea of replacement theory, you know, immigrants, they're rapists. They're going to criminalize you from Mexico. That's what Trump said. Right. Um, um, they, they, they pull from foreign countries like Hungary and Germany and, in others in Europe when the immigration crisis was at a high from Syria. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at this crime that happened that refugees did. Like this is what they, this is the plan all along is that white people are going to die. Tucker Carlson had a segment a few years back about African, South African farmers, white farmers specifically um, were being killed by a black led government specifically. First of all, the South African government at the time, I don't know much about South Af- Africa, I'll be completely real, but at the time, uh, it had a white majority. Mm-hmm. And, and while it is a black um, uh, majority population, uh, there's no evidence that any kind of governmental program actually specifically targeted white farmers or that white farmers were specifically the victims of crime more than black people in that country were. And then a couple, about a year after that, Tucker Carlson goes to Hungary to talk about, oh, this is, look at this place with Viktor Orban. As we all know, he is outlawed being part of the LGBTQ community um, and many other horrible things. And that's the society that Tucker Carlson wants. Mm -hmm. And since he is the most watched show on cable, he directly influences the Republican Party and millions of white Americans who have fed into his lies. And 
them repeating this idea of replacement theory is probably what influenced this 18 year old to go and shoot up a predominantly black uh, neighborhood grocery store. It's a tragedy. I, it's, I mean, obviously my thoughts go out to all the families and the people um, involved and, and everyone who are especially feeling the brunt of this. I'm, Every time it happens, I get more exhausted and hope diminishes me out of me more and more that something's going to actually change because as with every mass shooting, nothing has changed. But the fact that it was not obviously labeled as a race-related terrorist, domestic terrorism attack right away is just blasphemous to me. I mean, it was so obvious. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it on over to you, Terrell. That was a lot of just thoughts. That no, I, I think I think that's an, an important encapsulation of everything and gives me space to also reflect, right? Of this isn't unfeasible. And I, I went on a rant on Twitter per usual um, <laughs> where I really called out the day after and, and really challenge people to be thoughtful of their black colleagues um, on Monday and, and now Tuesday and be thoughtful of the fact that while our white friends and allies and colleagues are coming around and realizing how this country has always been to us, it's important to realize this is how this country has always been to us. We we may have built this country. We may have been the backbone to get this country functioning, but at no point has this country ever truly accepted us for who we are. And that's important because we can't see this as an isolated problem. South Carolina, while black people were praying they open their doors and arms to a young white man who would later go on to kill all of them. Charlottesville, a group of white people would march through the street saying, you will not replace us. And then a counter protest would occur and a person would drive a car through the counter protest, killing two people. But on the flip side of that, you have, the people who are supposed to protect us choking Eric Gardner because he's selling single cigarettes outside of a um, convenience store or choking George Floyd because he had a counterfeit $20 bill, or you have a African American teenager walking in his own subdivision be stalked and murdered by his own neighbor and then his neighbor get off because he was protecting himself. You have a preteen be shot and killed by the police because he had a toy gun. You even go a step further and look at Michigan. You have the clearest example of how extreme the far right has gotten in their attempt to kill the governor and hold their own trial and the judicial system fails them, fails the governor, fails the state and argues that the FBI coerced them to do their acts. So by and by and large, they are not guilty. So like, I think everything you mentioned is so important and so helpful to frame this right of it's not just the tuckle car. It's not just the Tucker Carlson's that are the inherent problem. It is truly the system. And it's the fact that for black and brown people, we are seeing this every day. We don't talk about the thousands of missing black trans individuals in this country right now. We don't talk about the fact that 
our right to vote is being attacked every day. And as we're having this conversation about Roe and we're hearing white suburban women get angry that they don't get a chance to have ownership or autonomy over their bodies, we're thinking about the fact that none of our rights are codified. We're thinking about the fact that the one right we had codified, our voting right, has already been attacked by this current Supreme Court and has been gutted. We're thinking about the fact that the idea that we can marry people outside of our race could change tomorrow. We're thinking about the fact that Governor Abbott in Texas is already making an argument of how you can resegregate schools. So we're thinking about the fact that five years ago, there was an aggressive argument about whether or not we should have Confederate statues. And the president at the time was making arguments that there are good people on both sides and that we can't erase that part of our history. So (laughs) it's inherently infuriating to have to turn on the news and listen to these stories and then have to be the person to call out at the top of this segment, the fact that the white person who thought it was an honorable thing to live stream the massacre of black bodies was still protected by our news organizations and not named until they got a clear go ahead. Meanwhile, Trayvon Martin, who did nothing to deserve the situation that happened to him, had his name published the moment he died had his entire record brought up and went from images of him graduating and being a happy black body and a black boy to a picture of him being a quote unquote thug. So yes, we can get into it about the the replacement theory, but it, it is impossible to ignore the fact that it is not inherently ingrained in everything that is currently existing in this country. Yeah. I think, I think replacement theory or at least the the peddling of it by Tucker Carlson and many on the right. Um, um, I think it, I think it is our system. I'm agreeing with you. I just I think that it's back to that what I was kind of mentioning before. I really think it's about this idea that we're about to go through and actually already in the process of America is changing. Mm-hmm. We are changing, actually for the better. We are changing to this new kind of order. And what I mean by that is like we had the old generation, mostly white people. We're changing to a new generation that is beginning to not look like it's mostly white anymore. Mm -hmm. A new generation of power in America. And there's people on the right. They happen to be on the right. In an alternate timeline, they could have been on the left. It doesn't really fucking matter. There's people out there that see that change coming and they're doing everything they can, everything they can to stop it. And that's what I think that the basis of replacement theory really is. They're trying to scare white people into doing stuff like this. And then when, when stuff actually happens, you have Tucker Carlson, again, the most watched show in cable news going and go asking these racist fucking questions and then saying in a very Oh my God. One of the most annoying fucking voices I've ever heard ever going, but that's not racist. Is it? Mm -hmm. It's not racist to ask these questions. There's a lot to talk about here. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to live in an America that's like this, but it is. And it really truly always has been. It's just, I guess it's always been veiled as I grew up and now it feels like it's a lot more out in the open, Mm -hmm. but I want to live in a place that is neither of those things. It's just not there. And I don't know if that's going to happen in my lifetime. I'm smiling for those of y'all who can't see because it's a podcast. Um, (laughs) Cause I think back to our first civics failed episode with Nisha and I want to ask you this question and I recognize very quickly that it is not one that can be answered, but when we were talking about the visibility of trans individuals in this country, and when we were, we were really getting into what needs to happen 
niece shared, I still think one of the most profound things I've heard this year, um, where they, they called on people to let their imaginations go free because in reality, trans individuals do not have visibility and do not have uh, the comfort to move around, but in imagination they can. And I don't know if this sits right with me and I'm, I'm very much processing this in the moment, but that's how I feel we have to be as a country. I mean, I think back to when the Biden administration started and the episode we always like to highlight, it's all about us um, or it's all of us, whichever. And how we felt like the government was caring about its people again. And uh, we played that clip from Biden that really surmised what I think a lot of people are feeling and, and his willingness to finally say that this is terrorism. There are Americans who are terrorized to this day. But there's this growing pain in the black community that this administration isn't doing enough. And I, I lean on Nisha's point of at least they're imagining it. Like they're talking about equity. They're imagining how can we start shifting these systems to be more inclusive. Um, as we were going through COVID, they as an administration focused on black and brown farmers and ensuring that they were being treated fairly and getting what they needed because they imagined what does farming look like from an equitable space. And I don't know if this country will ever do that collectively, but that's, that's like all the hope I have at this point. Yeah. I mean, like politically, like I think the, I like the, these conversations that we have, like this black farmers issue that you mentioned, even trans rights like have i feel like have come into the mainstream of unfortunately our politics but in our culture and stuff and especially in the last few years mm -hmm. and i think that just goes to show that america is changing and it's kind of changing quickly but it just adds fuel to the fire for people who are i don't like saying this term usually but on the wrong side of history uh, uh to peddle kind of the racist undertones and create a lot of hate in this world. And like, I don't know. There's a interesting tweet that I saw um, the other day. And it goes, racism is so deeply embedded in America that when we protest racism, they think we're protesting America. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> but I... um it's just made so much worse. It's made so much worse by things like Fox news these days. And I, I mean, I read and the articles will be um, in our description, but I read a couple parts of these stories that the New York times put out uh, called the American nationalist. And it is about Tucker Carlson. And I'm sorry, I keep going back to him. No, I but think I think you should, <laughs> but I think Fox news is one of the biggest perpetrators of this idea of replacement theory. And the idea that it's that it's not racist to ask these questions, which most of the time are racist. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they are the biggest, they're the biggest perpetrators of why we are not progressing as a nation. And I I was reading the article and the whole time I'm thinking about it, I'm reading it and you know, Tucker Carlson didn't have a job less than a decade ago. Mm -hmm. He was a no fucking buddy. He did some cable news network stuff, but his show was canceled so fast because he had terrible ideas about immigration. And holy shit, did the tides change on the right. Trump got elected and Tucker Carlson just kind of went off. And he has his primetime show. He has millions of people watch him every single night where he says that, oh, the Buffalo shooting that happened? It's just a regular shooting. Why do you have to bring race into it? I mean, he brings race into every fucking thing he says. They normally do. But I, I'm sitting there reading these stories and I realize something. Tucker Carlson wouldn't be a thing if this wasn't a viable business mm -hmm. plan or option. And it is. Fox 
is doing very well as a business, Fox News specifically. And what they even started doing is they took Tucker Carlson's primetime stuff and actually started implementing a lot of it into their daily stuff. And wow, ratings went up. I know some of it is that this country has a really ugly side to it and it always has. And I know that's why a lot of people watch this stuff. But Fox News, while it always had some racist undertones in some way, was never this outright about it. It used to be kind of the place that conservatives would watch their news and want to get their conservative opinions and those takes. Yeah. Which is understandable. You know, people and, watch MSNBC for that on the left. But also, let us be clear, there were dog whistles. Like, yes, it wasn't as overt 100%. as it is now. But there were still dog whistles that, that perpetrated this, right? 100%. But I, I guess I want to throw this question out to you. Like, like people who, who watched Fox and then Fox slowly changed like out from under them. And I don't know, maybe they were people that like, I don't know what the fuck they believe. I'm not going to make assumptions here. I'm just going to say, I just wonder how many people got caught in that. And it was all part of Fox's plan, right? Mm. I, I don't know. I just, that's probably a weird question to ask right now in all of this. I just, no, I mean, that's, that's the crux of this all, right? And I, I mean, obviously this can get into a deeper dive, but I think back to something you shared earlier. Um, this country has never been inclusive. But yes, we also have to own that on top of that, this country has an older generation that is currently trying to promote a facelift. <laughs> so, yeah, when you're talking about race, you have several prominent individuals who again not letting this live in a silo saw in the 2016 and then subsequently the 2018 elections prominent politicians be ran for blackface and now you have you have fox news actively leaning into that and giving them a space to say, well, yeah, what you did back then wasn't racist. It was just a part of your culture. What you did back then isn't inherently racist. They're changing the definition of what racism is to make you feel guilty. Wait, what you're doing now isn't racist. They're just, there's a war against whites. There's this slow buildup to, to help you think, well, yeah, I guess what I did right back then was in line with where the country went. And now the country's shifted in such a way I don't recognize anymore. And it, I'm always thoughtful of this because of my place in this world right now, but it's, it's past time that we had a more intentional focus to call out the fact that the modern conservative party is an extremist party that is serving no one. The outlets that they are using to propagate their extremist ideas are detrimental to the development of this country. And you leaning into Tucker Carlson and Fox news is that it, we cannot allow for Fox News to still exist because we've already seen that when Fox News started to try to get into reality, um, what is it? One American Nation or OAN, whatever that. OAN. Yes, that whatever that was, that was created because Fox was becoming, quote unquote, too liberal. Like we need to be intentional in these conversations because we are reminded every day when we're not intentional, this is what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, I don't know, my last point on this is that I'm just absolutely heartbroken and maybe it's the wrong time to say it, but I just feel, I feel like this country, I feel like in, and I'm, I'm positive when it comes to this stuff, but maybe it's easy for me to be. I feel like we are going to, even if it takes years, get through this power struggle in the next generation will have power, which is us, basically. Because that's what's always happened in America. But every time, it's just, it's not going to be 
it's not going to be an easy, an easy fight, but you know, a lot of this has to do with like, we have to elect people that, that are us. We have to elect people that I don't know, want to do something about guns. I mean, we're talking about this one specifically because I feel like it has such big implications onto what the current state of America is, but there was two other mass shootings this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Elect, electing the right people actually does work. Don't let anyone tell you that it doesn't. If we had 60 Democrats in the Senate, a lot of the stuff, this one might not have even happened. <laughs> I mean, actually, though, with like with gun laws and stuff, this might not even happened. I don't know, Terrell. I just... I want to like, I don't want to end on a hopeless note, even though I feel it. I want to end on a, like a call to action, like a way for us, like it's primary season right now. Like vote for people who, you know, I don't know, are going to do something about guns, are going to try to do something about some of these extremists. Absolutely agree, Caleb. But I also think uh, it's important for us at Dangerously Likely to highlight while we got into our our emotions here, this tragedy impacted 10 families. Um, So we have to take a second to remember Celestine Cheney, Roberta Dury, Andre McNeil, Catherine Massey, Marcus Morrison, Hayward Patterson, Aaron Stalter, Geraldine Talley, Ruth Whitfield, and Pearl Young, victims of this tragedy and and their families. Our thoughts and prayers go out to them. Um, And this is coming from someone who's an atheist. But my grace truly does. And without closing completely, I do believe Torrance had a few words he wanted to share. Hey everyone at Dangerously Likely, this is Torrance, and I wanted to stop by um, and share a message this week because my heart is heavy um, and I have a lot of my mind following the shooting um, of 10 black um, men and women at the Topps grocery store in Buffalo, New York in an act of racist terrorism um, by a uh, white supremacist who walked into a grocery store in a predominantly black neighborhood um, with the sole intent of killing black people, his words um, also being pulled from his 180-page manifesto that echoes talking points that we hear daily on Fox News, as well as some of the members of the Republican Party, um, is specifically the Great Replacement Theory. And despite all of those things, I have to ask, is this... Is this it? Is this the reality that we are going to accept for ourselves. This is the great society that we claim to be in, the greatest country on planet Earth. That this is, this is it, right? Whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, whether you're independent, no matter what you are, this is the reality that we are going to accept and just live with. We're going to do nothing. We are going to continue to play these partisan games. We're going to continue to allow one political party in this country to espouse that our Second Amendment right to bear arms extends extends to any limit that is completely uninhibited that in many states we don't even require a background check for every firearm purchase that there are so many loopholes to this right that we have continued that we've created a society that is unsafe for people that you don't know if you go grocery shopping if you go to church if you go to school if you're going to be shot up by someone who is espousing the same lines as leaders in your state who are trying to pass legislation that reflects that same hate you know, I think that we, we, after these tragic events occur, people are commonly saying, you know, this is not who we are. But honestly, at this point, I think I have to call bullshit. This is exactly who we are. There's no evidence to suggest this is not who we are. We've had 198 mass shootings in 2022 already. Some within weeks of each other, with many killed. And without the bravery of specific people, would have killed many, many more. And all of them are based in some sort of hate or lack of resources to address the underlying problems that are affecting these people. So what I have to say is this. If you are sitting idly by and not pushing back on racism, not calling out people for, this, for, for speaking about the Great Replacement Theory, if you are not 
actively doing something about it, you are a part of the problem. I think that the families in Buffalo, they deserved better. The families in Florida from the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting deserved better. I think that the Tree of Life families deserved better, that the families in El Paso deserved better, that we as Americans deserve better. What are we going to do about it? And we'll be right back. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerouslylikely at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening and drop us a review. Take us on a tangent, Caleb. My tangent's really fast. It's uh, uh, midterm season. Right now, as we record, two days before this episode drops, it's um, Idaho's primary. So obviously, I, I hope you're voting right now, but I can't tell you to vote because you'll see this on you'll hear this on Thursday and don't <laughs> see it. don't see it because it's a podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're listening to this in whatever state, I don't know every state's primary schedule, but be sure to vote because voting in primaries is important and can alter what your state will look like uh, come next November. So remember to vote, get that absentee ballot in, make sure you make a plan to go vote. Um, If your state has early voting, you should go do that. And then make sure if you need an absentee or whatnot, make sure to get that going for uh, next November uh, during the actual midterm cycle. Um, Obviously, like here at Dangerously Likely, we we talk a ton about uh, politics and different ways that it influences all of our lives. Um, if you're someone who listens, listens to this, but hasn't really voted before, fear not, you still have the opportunity to vote always in every single election. Um, and remember local elections are very important too, because it directly affects you, um, versus, uh, uh, maybe a lot of federal stuff, but you should vote for everything and make sure that when you're thinking about voting, vote for people who you believe will make this country a better place. Um, Again, even our conversation today, there's a lot of ways that we can make our country a better place to prevent uh, tragedies like the one that we had to talk about today. Um, uh, and we encourage you to to choose candidates that might actually offer some solutions to these um, big ticket items. So go vote. <laughs> Terrell, take us on a tangent. It's not fair because you got to take what I was going to talk about. <laughs> um, but no, that's that's exactly it, right? And I think my tangent is going to be very much centered on the idea that you have to inherently vote one way. Um, here in Idaho, we the Republican Party <laughs> has a closed primary. I think we've talked about this before. Um, so it allows for an incestuous pool that can elect the worst of the worst, i.e. our lieutenant governor. Um, but it it doesn't have to feel that way. I, I may on this podcast say a few times that the modern conservative party is an extremist group, but you can find politicians that still align with your perspectives and your interests and or politicians that are just better than the alternative. And that's on us as a country to do our due diligence, to understand our system and ensure that we are electing people that will protect or serve the betterment of our state, our individual, our person, our community, insert word here. Reason I bring this up is because there is a aggressive view that if Democrats are to change their affiliation, let's say, to a conservative or go unaffiliated and then vote in the conservative primary, it is causing some undue harm and that it is the fault of the people that they had to make that decision. And what I really want to challenge people to think about is the it's, fact it's that- the fault of the government. Are you kidding yeah, me? It's, yeah, it's, our politicians. That's it's fucked. the fault of the Democratic Party, <laughs> specifically, because the Democratic Party and what? the state don't function in a way that they can promote a sustainable party or that they can 
show why they need to be viable in the state. Well, but I mean, like in Idaho, like, like an issue is that it's a closed primary system. So like, I don't know. The problem with Idaho is that it's most likely going to elect a conservative. Yeah, because the Democrats don't do anything. I agree. I agree. <laughs> wow. Take this as a, if anyone from the Idaho Democratic Party is listening to this, yes, that is a criticism, but we would love to talk more about it. Um, you could win Idaho. Uh, yeah, I think you could too. But I like, I don't know. You have this closed primary system, which Republicans made happen. So what that means is basically um, when you're affiliated a certain way, you can only vote for that way. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of Democrats in Idaho and I'm not going to out myself, but I just did. Um, (laughs) uh, They changed their affiliation to Republican because, I don't know, we don't want wackos to be like, I don't know, in power in the state. If you're going to elect a Republican, might as well be someone who's at least has some kind of reason to it, to them. Um, And Idaho lately has had a lot of wackos try to run, but, you know, they haven't necessarily had a ton of crazy good success. And I mean, uh, well, I mean, I guess what I think about that, I think about the governorship and that's about it. No, the state house is its own problem. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But like, I don't know. The Democratic Party doesn't like it when Democrats do that, but they're also not doing anything to like give us a good reason to not do that. Mm -hmm. The Republican Party gives us a great reason to do that (laughs) because they keep putting up nasty ass candidates. All right. Anyways, I totally took over that. No, that that was my point. And also, <laughs> per usual, of course, I have to come for the more far left part of the country as well. You can't make arguments that doing that is inherently wrong because that is a person who understands the political system and is trying to better the political system and better their institutions with the tools that they have. But additionally... <laughs> This weekend, I was able to participate in a rally planned by Planned Parenthood um, to protest against the leaked draft from the Supreme Court, but also the fact that Idaho has a trigger-ready bill that's currently stalled in the Supreme Court, pending whatever um, the National Supreme Court puts out. And when I showed up, there was a little bit of a staff foo happening in the group where there was a counter protest. It had maybe 20 people max compared to the thousands that showed up to advocate for women's health and women's health rights. Fucking good. And this woman is yelling at the pro-life group and threatening to fight them and being held back by her friends. And no surprise to any of our listeners, I'm sure I stopped and was like, you need to calm down. They have as much of a right to be here as we do. I don't agree with anything that they're saying, but we can't, you can't be the party that argues for rights and then sets qualifications that only your rights matter, especially in that space. Interesting. You can have a conversation about promoting racism and the replacement theory as this has no space here. That is not inherently freedom of speech. But someone saying that, like, from their religious perspective, contraception or uh, conception starts um, the minute sperm comes out of a body, like, that is a very convoluted and difficult argument to have. And they do deserve the right to say that. What you should be arguing is that the government has no right to pick sides in that argument and say that inherently... Because some people have that religious belief, everyone must have that religious belief. What you should be saying is that everyone has a right to a decision, and that is a decision of the patient and individual who's going through that process, and the government doesn't belong there. And if that individual wants to speak on or talk about or do any of those pieces, sure. Especially when they were peacefully protesting. They weren't doing anything egregious. They were just saying things that people hated. Now, if we're going to Planned Parenthood and they're actively blocking the door. Again, that is a different situation. But I really think that we are at a testing point right now as a country where both sides are starting to dig in in such a way that nothing productive can happen, but also only the worst possible outcomes can come out of it. And I really want to challenge listeners and challenge individuals 
to take a step back and really lean into what matters at the end of the day. Is it that your point gets across or is that we're in a system that is truly equitable? Well, I believe that's our show. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Caleb Smith. I'm Terrell Couch. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week.